Well, as God shall help us, I want us to consider this second chapter of Zechariah by asking a series of questions. The first question is, when? Now, obviously, last month we considered the general situation of uh, this uh, prophecy. Uh, And actually, uh, I think that this second chapter, uh, that fits very specifically with this. The seventh verse of chapter one tells us that upon the fourth and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido the prophet, saying. And it seems that uh, these uh, chapters, these early chapters, all uh, come one after the other on that date, or certainly very, very close to it, if not exactly at the same time. When we come to chapter 7 and verse 1, we have another date given. But in between those two, there is no indication of any time. Furthermore, there are, as we go through, uh, many links that link these different visions. It's a whole series of different visions, and yet there are those things that connect through. So that's most instructive. There are visions that come as we read in verse 8 of chapter 1, by night, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. Well, that's when. Who? We've just seen there in uh, verse Eight, it's I, and this chapter starts with I. So who is this I? Well, it's very clear. We've again read it from verse 7, that it is Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, the prophet. And in a sense, confirming what I've just said, when we come to chapter 7 and we have that new date given, it is repeated for us that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Shizlu. So we've just been, uh, we've just had him as I until that point. But now, because it's a new uh, series of uh, visions, the person, the identity of the one to whom they are given is repeated. Now, it's rather lovely that actually Zechariah is one of those people that is mentioned on several other occasions in Scripture. Thus, in Nehemiah and chapter 12 and verse 16, as Nehemiah lists the different people of the priests and the Levites, we find of Ido, Zechariah. It's a 
a whole long list that he goes through. But as we come to verse 35 of that chapter, we find that certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, namely Zechariah, but that's the son of Jonathan. So there are other Zechariahs. There is another Zechariah mentioned in chapter 8 and verse 4. This again is not our Zechariah, I think. It could be, it's not clear. But on this occasion, this was when Ezra the scribe was preaching from that pulpit made of wood and those that stood by him include Zechariah and Mishalem and they were those that caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place so they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading it is, therefore, quite a common name at this time. In chapter 11, in verse 4 and verse 5, there are two other Zechariahs that are mentioned in the genealogies of those that are there. And again in verse 12. So, so why is this significant? Well, the name... Zechariah means remembered by Jah, remembered by Jehovah. The children of Israel have been sent to Babylon. They haven't been forgotten by God. They haven't been neglected in Babylon. They are still remembered by Jehovah. Of course, we know that he can never forget. But there is this constant reminder, it seems, given to these people that God is with them. And so even as they call these names, there is a remembrance made of his grace. Ezra also reminds us of the importance of Zechariah's prophecy. This comes with the opening verses of, this, uh, of the first of the book. But we read in chapter 5, Then the prophet Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God, helping them. You'll remember that the people had gone to build, but they, they got distracted and... God raises these two prophets to get them back on task, as it were. And so, as they deliver these messages, so the people return to their work. And again, that's repeated in chapter 
6 and verse 14. And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. This is that uh, message which was uh, which went out in verse 4. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. But on this occasion, God so moved the people that they did hearken, and so the work was accomplished. Who? Well, that's the who who had this vision, Zechariah. But then we have three other people in this chapter. The second person we read of is the man with, with the measuring line in his hand, the one that gives the, the title to this uh, subject tonight. Who is this man? Well, we've already read the beginning of verse 8 of chapter 1. There was that man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. The bottom, uh, an old word, Buckinghamshire and Yorkshire and Kent, for, for a valley. So there in, he's in the valley. But when we come to verse 11 of chapter 1, they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees. So this man is the angel of the Lord. And so as we come to chapter 2, this man, this man with the measuring line in his hand, is, I believe, that same angel of the Lord. We read, Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, and to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. But then we come to two other angels. Verse 3. Behold, the angel that talked with me went forth. Now in chapter 1 and verse 14, we come across the angel that communed with me. Often referred to as the interpreting angel. And that is this angel that talked with Zechariah. But as he goes forth, again in verse 3, we have another angel that went to meet him. 
So we have in this chapter Zechariah, the man with the measuring line, who is the angel of the Lord, the interpreting angel, and then another angel. When, who, and then why? Why is this man carrying this measuring line? What is its purpose? Well, again, we have to go back to chapter 1. And we see there the purpose of that vision, and because it's linked, I think, the purpose of chapter 2. So, in chapter 1 and verse 13, And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words, with comforting words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And then verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. There is to be that building of the house of God, the temple. Uh, we've already seen that uh, through the ministry of Zechariah and Haggai, that was indeed done. But the Lord says that there will be this line upon Jerusalem. And here in chapter 2, we have the fulfilment of that word. This angel, the angel of the Lord, the same one, goes forth with this measuring line to measure. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. Do did perhaps ought to note that the uh, uh, expression used, the word used, isn't actually the same as it is in chapter 1, but it seems to be fulfilling the same purpose of measuring this city. There are various other places in God's word where we have a similar situation. We have an example in Jeremiah chapter 31 and in verses 38 to 40 we find behold the days come saith the Lord that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner and the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill Gareb and shall compass about to Goath and the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes, and all the fields unto the brook of Kidron, unto the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up, nor thrown down any more for ever. 
as we come to Ezekiel's prophecy, we find uh, then that vast uh, set of uh, instructions and measurements of the temple all the way through from chapter 40 to 42 and some of the chapters subsequently there is this measuring by the angel and the measurements of each of the rooms and uh, of all of the details are recorded faithfully for us by Ezekiel and then of course as we come to the book of Revelation we find that there is a measurement, measuring being done there by the angel. There in chapter 21 of Revelation. And he measured the wall thereof, an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. Sorry, that's 17. Uh, he that talked with me had a golden reed, uh, a rod, to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So this measuring of Jerusalem, we find, is a repeated pattern in the word of God but then what is the message uh, we, uh, we see that he's met this person to measure it but why what is the purpose of this that's given to us by the angel who is going out and is then sent back by the the, the fourth person, the, the second one in verse 3, who says to him, run and speak to this young man, this young man being uh, Zechariah, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. It's a, a comforting image, isn't it? And again, this is a, a picture that we have repeatedly as we go through the various prophecies. So in Isaiah chapter 4, we are presented with a, a similar picture. Isaiah 4 and verse 2. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. 
the branch, of course, is uh, something which we will pick up uh, in uh, several places in Zechariah as we go through. But the Lord here is uh, judging. He will judge those around. But then we continue. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her... Sorry. And upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defence. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a covert from storm and from rain. So we have there this wall of fire and God dwelling in the midst. Again in Isaiah chapter 26, we have a, 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 another similar message given. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah, we have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. And then verse 5. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And he bringeth down them that dwell on high. The lofty city, he layeth it low. He layeth it low even to the ground and bringeth it even to the dark. The people are being brought out from Babylon and there will be that judgment. But then, verse 12, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us. For thou also hast wrought all our works in us. And 15, thou hast increased the nation, O Lord. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou hast removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. The nation is increased, the numbers that are gathering. And, <coughs> and so there is this great need for the city to be expanded. It's expanded. And it's got no natural walls. And yet it has... Walls of fire. You remember that as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they ended up in a desperate situation. They were hemmed in by the Red Sea. There was no way they could go and the Egyptian army was coming up hard behind them. This wasn't an accident. God had specifically told Moses that that was where he was to go because that was exactly what the Egyptians would think. But now they're in big trouble. What's going to happen? The angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed 
and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. It's the only time that that cloud of fire and, uh, and smoke was not in front or in the midst of Israel. All through that time. But it was there as a defence, as a protection. reminded me too of that occasion when Elisha found uh, more particularly his servant found the hill completely surrounded by the army and he cries out and says alas my master how shall we do but Elisha prays Lord I pray thee open his eyes that he may see and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man that he saw and behold the mountain was full of Horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Not actually a wall of fire there, but the Lord is at work and his power is being demonstrated by that army which is surrounding that protection which we have here around Jerusalem. But then, as well as the fire round about Jerusalem God's glory is in the midst of her the temple is to be built and there in the temple as with the tabernacle and as with Solomon's temple was the Shekinah glory that visible presence of God's glory which meant, we, we read, that the priest could not minister by reason of the cloud that was there. In Isaiah chapter 60, we read, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And then later on in that chapter, verse 18, Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, Wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God, thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light. And the days of thy mourning shall be ended. And as we think of those verses, it brings us back, doesn't it, to Revelation chapter 21. And that wonderful picture of that uh, heavenly city. There we find in verse 23 that God is that light. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. 
And there in verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. So it speaks to us of peace. But Ezekiel also gives us a rather different aspect to this in chapter 38. Remember that there is that protection to be given. There is that need to stand against the forces of those that shall come. So chapter 38, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Uh, and thou shalt say, verse 11, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without iniquity. Sorry, all of them dwelling with, without walls, and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil, and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods, and that dwell in the midst of the land. <clears throat> So, uh, Ezekiel reminds us that this is, if there are no walls, it's a place of danger. And the enemy will seek to destroy. But, verse 14, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a, a mighty army. But what is, the, what is the outcome? Verse 18. And it shall come to pass at the same time when God shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. In verse 23. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself. And I will be known in the eyes of many nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So carrying on to verse 6 of 39. I will send a fire on Magog. And among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. Is in the midst. And I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Now, these things of course 
will need to be fulfilled and they're very solemn. David had said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. And now, shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. So, although there is this uh, lack of walls, yet God will keep his people safe. But God is concerned. It's a challenge to the people that are still in Babylon. That's what we find as we come to verse 6, isn't it? God has been challenging the people here and there. So, verse 3 of chapter 1 in Zechariah, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Haggai, chapter 1, verse 4. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your way. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, as we come to these prophecies, there is, of course, a sense in which we are looking to those things which are going to come to pass. We've seen, as we compare these things, many things that will yet happen. But it's equally obvious that as Zechariah delivers this uh, message, that this is a message which is literally to be applied then. <clears throat> as I just said, there is a concern that the people who are still in Babylon shall come and shall come to Jerusalem. We're not looking then to this great battle, these great battles that we've just been seeing, these prophetic applications of this. 
they needed to know that God would protect them, that God would keep them exactly at that time. And so the message goes out. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Now this warning about the scattering about against the, amongst the four winds of heaven was a warning that had been given right back by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And God there warns them that it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, and ye shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. This is if they fail to keep his voice. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And of course, that is exactly what had happened. We're focusing here on the people of Judah. But of course, the northern kingdom, the Assyrians had come and they were scattered and remained scattered. Jeremiah likewise gives us a similar picture in chapter 23, verse 5 to 8. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute just judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved. That links back to our chapter, doesn't it? And Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Although Babylon is really just to the east of Jerusalem, yet the access was from the north, and so that's why it's usually referred to in that way. Chapter 51, again. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me, a destroying wind. Verse 5, for Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Flee out of the midst of Babylon, and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. 
Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad. And of course, we cannot read such words without thinking of that great uh, calamity which John speaks of in Revelation. After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, ye my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. So the people are to come out. And of course I don't need to remind you that again Jeremiah spoke there we mentioned of the branch and Mr. Tom's reminded us earlier of that picture of the ephah which is so linked to the trade with Babylon. So these things are all linked in directly with the other chapters of Zechariah though I'm not um, wanting to cover that particularly. Verse 8, for thus saith the Lord of hosts. You'll remember that this expression, the Lord of hosts, comes repeatedly in chapter 1. And indeed it's a favourite expression of Zechariah. Jehovah of armies, the, the all-powerful one, the one who is over all things. It's only in chapters 11 and 12 that we don't find this expression used. And it comes twice in this chapter, verses 8 and verse 11. Jehovah of hosts, the Lord of hosts. After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Now we have a question, don't we? He hath sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. Who is this me? seems to me that this me is indeed the man that has the measuring rod, the angel of the Lord. In verse 6 we read that this instruction is from the Lord. And it's very clear as we go through that this me is going to be there 
resident, as it were. Verse 10, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Verse, uh, so, uh, verse 11, many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in the midst of thee. The Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. So this is uh, clearly a image, a, a, a vision of the Lord, of the second person of the Trinity. And he is going to be here and to be with his people. And he is the one that is speaking from verse 6 right the way through to the end of the chapter. The one that the Lord hath sent. Now of course this again is something that we find uh, very clearly set forth in other places. Uh, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the broken-hearted. So Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the broken-hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. He goes on, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Where there has been that suffering, there is now going to be that flourishing. And he will be glorified. He will be glorified in the midst. He, Jehovah, but also his son, the Messiah, that servant, as he comes to dwell with his people there in the midst. And again, as we come to the end of Isaiah's prophecy, we have a, a, a similar picture granted unto us as Christ is sent forth it's a judgment though it's solemn verse 15 for behold the Lord will come but he will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. This is his judgment on those who 
are his. And you'll remember how Paul comforts the Thessalonians by saying that it is his righteous recompense that he will recompense to those who have attacked them. Why? Because they are the people here, the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. The apple seems to refer particularly to the gateway into the eye. That is the pupil. It's a very uh, sensitive, it's the, the, the most uh, important part. It's precious, therefore. It's an expression that we find uh, in several other places. The first, again, being with, Mo- with uh, Moses in chapter 32, in that lovely song. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttering over her young, spreadeth the broad her wings, taketh them, and beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. And then again, David speaks of this in Psalm 17. Verse 17 of that psalm. And that's not right. Verse 7 of that psalm, sorry. Show thy marvellous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies which compass me about. And then finally in Isaiah 42. And there as we open that chapter we find the Lord again is close to his people behold my servant whom I uphold my elect in whom my soul delighteth I have put my spirit upon him and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles he shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street Uh, and so he goes on this Preciousness. This isn't the apple of his eye, but this is his people. He is guarding his people. He is standing against those that will hurt and damage. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. God is at work. Verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. God is there. And this again is something that he's picked up twice by Zechariah in chapter 8 
and verse 8. And I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. I will be their God. And 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a foal and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. God's people are to rejoice as he comes, as he is there and precious before them. Zephaniah also gives us such a, an encouragement in the final chapter. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, and be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments, he hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. And then the very last verse. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Well, this is exactly the, the timing that we, we're, we're seeing, isn't it? The Lord fulfilling those words of Zephaniah. And so uh, the people are praising him and they shout together before him. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Again, this is a, a promise being fulfilled that goes back to Moses. And there in Leviticus, uh, uh, we have those that encouragement that if the people do uh, follow his commands he will bless them I will establish my covenant with you and ye shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new and I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and will be your God and ye shall be my people. Leviticus 26, verses 10 to 12. And the Lord, as he preaches in the Sermon on the Mount, tells us that he will care. He will keep safe. He is watching over his people and will provide for all their needs. He 
in Zechariah chapter 8 again. The end of that chapter, we have a, 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 an enlargement, as it were, of these things. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. The Lord is there in the midst of his people. What a, a priceless and precious thing. Jesus said, didn't he, at the, uh, just after the taking of that last supper, that he would dwell with them and his father would dwell with them. Very, very precious things. Isaiah tells us that as God blesses his people, even the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord, to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, every one that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. The Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. And as Jesus uh, speaks of himself as the shepherd, he says that other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So there is that gathering together. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in the midst of thee. In the midst of Jerusalem but in the midst of this enlarged number and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. And again Isaiah and John speak of the gathering together of the nations, don't they? And, and bringing their glory and honour unto it. But these people, God says that they shall be my people. In Hosea, we find very solemn words, don't we, at the end of the first chapter. God said, call his name Loami, 
for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. And yet, as we go in the following verse, God says, Where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Hosea 1 verse 10. And then 2.23, and I will sow unto her on the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that I had not, that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. For those that are feeling rejected and cast out, God says they will be brought in. Many will be brought in. And there... He is in the midst. That lovely expression at the very end of Ezekiel's prophecy. Jehovah Shammah. God is there. God is in the midst of his people. In Psalm 44 and verse 23, we have a very strange expression. God says, Awake, or the, pe the people say, Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. In Psalm 78, we have a similar expression. In verses 65 and 66, we read again of God not being uh, there and, and watching over. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies in the hinder parts, he put them to a perpetual reproach. So once God has woken up, then he acts. What are we to make of this? We know that God slumbereth not, nor sleeps. He that watcheth over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And yet this final expression of this chapter, he is raised up out of his holy habitation, really indicates that the Lord is being roused up. He's being Aroused. We know too, don't we, that God doesn't forsake his people. Uh, and yet, again in Isaiah, we have that picture that whereas he had for a little while turned his back on them. And it's, it's therefore a sort of picture. It's not that God is asleep. But it must have felt like it, mustn't it? Throughout those 400 years in Egypt as the people were crying unto him and nothing happened. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry, 
against the prayer of thy people. That's really the point, isn't it? God has been judging his people. God had repeatedly warned them that if they didn't turn to him, that if they didn't forsake their evil ways, that he would judge them. And they failed to do so. But he does act. Psalm 50, verse 3. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. And so... Zephaniah, uh, again in chapter 1 and verse 7. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. Be silent, a all flesh, before the Lord. Are we, do we take note as we stand before him? Habakkuk says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. He will be in the midst. Matthew tells us, doesn't he? Echoing those words of Isaiah chapter 7. That Emmanuel, God with us, is here. He will be with his people. And that's what Zechariah is proclaiming to us. That's indeed what this man with the measuring line is proclaiming to us. That he will come and that he will bless and that he will protect. What is our action to be in the light of these things. I'm, just, I'm going to read three extracts. The first from Hosea chapter 6. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He has smitten 
and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Also, O Judah, he hath set an harvest for thee when I returned the captivity of my people. We are to return to the Lord and we are to worship him. But how are we to do that? Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there in the midst. He's the wall of fire around. God is in the midst of her, of the city of God. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then finally, I know it's in a sense the complete opposite of that silence but we have both presented to us here Isaiah chapter 12 and in that day thou shalt say O Lord I will praise thee though thou wast angry with me thine anger is turned away and thou comfortedst me behold God is my salvation I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day ye shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. May God help us so to take these things to heart and so to act to glorify his name amongst those that we come into contact with. Amen.